this is the, your first time here, and I just want to say welcome to an amazing school. I didn't go to school here, um, so I, I feel like I'm sort of a neutral party in that. Uh, <laughs> I do work here now. This is my fifth year working here. But I went to a small private liberal arts school, and then I went and worked at a huge public state school in the South where football was king. And this place is kind of the best of both worlds. And it is an amazing place to be. It's a really challenging place to be. Uh, you need to find people that can know you and dwell with you. Um, but if you can do that, and I think you can do that, um, it is an incredible place. So I just want to say welcome. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to make you feel welcome, please let us know. Um, so I'm going to read the scripture tonight and pray, and then we'll jump into this. And I want to say, normally this semester we're going to be going through the book of Exodus uh, and kind of walking through that. Tonight, though, I'm kind of doing a one-off sermon, also from the Old Testament. Uh, if you want New Testament stuff from RUF this semester, you'll have to go to our small groups. Um, but I'm going to do a one-off passage tonight, kind of an introduction to RUF. Like, what are we about? What do we do? Who are we? And I'm going to do that from 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. And so this is uh, God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man. <laughs> with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten chains of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him as a leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elijah... The man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Let me pray for us and we get started. Father, uh, there are so many different experiences happening this week for all of us. Um, so much joy and so much fear as well. Wondering, uh, will we find a place to land? And will we find friends? 
will this just be a repeat of high school or will we finally be a different person? And Lord, I pray, uh, God, that you would meet us wherever we come tonight, um, whether in faith or belief, whether in anxiety or confidence. Lord, that you would be with us as our God and we with you as your people. Dwell with us now through your son Jesus and make alive to us your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so a few years ago, I guess this was when Katie was in college, she went with some friends to Nashville, which is, you know, super cool, hip city. And uh, she goes to one of the cooler parts of Nashville, and they're checking out this shop. And she's kind of leading the way, uh, kind of out the shop as she goes. And she's kind of turned, talking to a friend, and as she goes through the shop door going outside. She's turned around, and she's talking to a friend, and she opens the door, and she feels it go like hit on someone out there. And she turns and she sees uh, a pretty woman, blonde, and she looks at her and she goes, oh my goodness, I am so, so sorry, because it's Taylor Swift. She has just hit Taylor Swift the door as she's coming out of the coffee shop next door. <laughs> and Taylor just like laughs it off. She's like, it's okay, it's okay. Um, and Katie's like, no, no, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, really, it's fine. And Katie looks at her and says, you know, if my roommate were here, she would freak out. <laughs> and Taylor says, well, tell your roommate that I said, hey. And then she got with her mom into her, like, Hummer and, like, drove off out of the parking lot. Because <laughs> it's, it's Taylor Swift. She's not driving a Civic, okay? <laughs> I tell you that story, though, because how you respond to people really changes based on whether you know them or not. And so tonight, I just want to talk to you all about who, you are, who RUF is, so that how you respond to us, you can do it out of a place of actually knowing a little bit about who we are, and you wouldn't just uh, kind of dive into things midstream. But you'd actually maybe really know something about us. So tonight, I want to talk about three things from this passage. I want to talk about who we are, I want to talk about what we do, I want to talk about what we want to see happen in your life. Who we are, what we do, what we want to see happen in your life. So I want to start off and say this. Um, it's kind of a, a side note, but in light of what happened yesterday with uh, the protest and Silent Sam and everything like that, I've got to say uh, that this Naaman has something to say to that and how he fits into the story of the Bible, which is this, is that the story of the Bible is really, really clear that racism is a sin, that the idolatry of a nationalism or a culture being better or more superior than others and that that should be the way that everyone should have to be, like, that is a sin, like, full stop. There are no exceptions to that. The book of Jonah ends with God rebuking the prophet for um, basically wishing that the Assyrians whom God had sent him to tell, to repent and believe, that, wishing that they were dead. God rebukes the prophet there. Or Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, goes to these Greek philosophers and they think that, you know, we're the Greeks, we invented philosophy, we invented history, we invented uh, theater, like we invented sculpture, all these things. We're better than everyone else around us. Everyone else are barbarians. And Paul comes to them and says, you know, every single person in the world is made in God's image and is equal in dignity and worth. And so, you know, the way is open for all these people, Jew and Greek or barbarian, to be part of God's people. Like, this is just the story the Bible is telling. And so, Naaman here is not a Jew. He's a general from another country, which is probably an enemy of Israel. 
And yet he's finding mercy with God and his people. And that's just the story the Bible tells. And I wouldn't normally like take a minute to talk about that. I don't think that's super clear in this and or super important in the way that this text brings that out. But in light of what happened yesterday on campus, and because we're for the campus, I just have to say that here at the beginning. So um, that's some background on Naaman. But who are we in this story? Naaman here is the commander of an army. He's a great man. He's a mighty man of valor. He's extremely accomplished. He's obviously wealthy. He's got like bunches of gold, bunches of silver, really nice clothes. He's got everything going for him. This would be like the guy who graduated valedictorian from the top private school in North Carolina who's a moorhead but like sort of humble about it. Uh, he's the president of Kaisai. His IM team has won like four uh, IM tournaments in the last three years. He's the class president. Uh, he's weighing job offers between Deloitte and Goldman. I mean, this guy has it all. Except for one thing. He's a leper. He has this horrible flesh-eating disease that's disfiguring him and that will one day kill him. And that is us. Like, you're young. To be here at UNC means you're accomplished. You're already successful. And yet you're also very sick. That we are infected with sin. And that's just the bent of our heart that says, you know, everything and everyone is essentially here to make me feel powerful to make me feel good, and when that isn't happening, I'm going to just get outraged by it. That is our primary problem with ourselves and the world and God. And the Bible says there is no other king. The sin in our heart says, hmm, let's explore other options. No other priority but me. I'm not trying to shame you in that. I'm not trying to scold you in that. I mean, that's me too. I just want to diagnose that here in the get-go. I heard a story recently about a guy here in North Carolina who was an insurance appraiser. And so he would go for insurance companies out to estates and just figure out what they're worth and what can we insure them for. And he goes out to this estate that is huge. I mean, it's so big that when he gets off the highway, it has this own sort of side road that takes him deep, deep, deep out in the woods. And as he rides up on it and comes across this house, he realizes this thing is huge. And he looks at the specs. It's a 16,000 square foot mansion. And on the outside, it is just a monster of a house. But he gets out of his car, he opens the door, and goes inside the place, and it's empty. And I'll just mean like there's no furniture. There's no drywall. There's no pipes. There's no electrical. It's just bare studs. It's empty. And the guy goes back to this insurance company and asks, like, what's the deal with that creepy house? You know, fair question. And they tell him that it had belonged to a NASCAR driver who'd gotten addicted to meth. And he lost his contract with NASCAR. And so he gutted the inside of his house and sold everything that he could to fuel his habit. But he left the outside intact to keep up appearances. You know, that's a graphic picture of Naaman and of me and of you. Decorated on the outside, but inside rotten and gutted and empty by sin. So what does this mean about who we are in RUF? It means that we are not a community that's afraid to admit that we've got a problem, that we're sick. RUF is not a Christian club. Not everyone here is a Christian or cares about Christ yet. Some people are here to grow in their faith. Some people are here to find a rest for their souls and get off kind of the performance treadmill. 
But what unites us is not our faith in Jesus. What unites us is our need for Jesus. What unites us is our need for Jesus. That this is not a place where you have to be buttoned up and pretend to be all put together when you know that deep down you're not. And where, you know, you don't have to feel like every time you sit down with me or Aaron or Taylor or your small group leader that you're in some sort of job interview. Like, it's not that. But this is a safe place where you have doubts and struggles and baggage and deep hurts and addictions and eating disorders and to be open and honest. That our goal in REF is not to be the biggest campus ministry that's kind of aggressively recruiting people and so that we can just kind of be as big as humanly possible but our goal is to be the healthiest campus ministry, to be the healthiest community at UNC. And if you're sick, like we believe that we all are, then the place that you've got to start for that is you've got to admit that you need healing. And side note, I just think that you know, when you make that the center of things, that, that means that you can have the best friendships too. Because that's the kind of place where you can actually be known and loved and just be yourself without having to pretend to be someone else. Look, We are a joyful community too, but we're a community where we're known and cared for. And that's where real joy comes from. So what do we do here? What do you do here? Look at Naaman's anger over what Elijah prescribes. Like, ah, I can't believe he wouldn't even come outside of his house. Like he's going to send a messenger out to me to tell me to go take a bath. Like he's mad about that. Why is he mad about that? Because the solution is too ordinary. It's not great. It's not special. It's not difficult. Look, here at RUF, we believe that real healing and real transformation happens in ordinary ways and ordinary places. Naaman, like all of us, or many of us, thinks that transformation and healing should happen in big, kind of showy places. You know, moments where we think oftentimes that change is happening are big, splashy, intense, exclamation point, jazz hands kind of moments. This is why you all want intense experiences in worship. Or a Hollywood romance. Or to run like 10 marathons before you graduate. Or to eat anything you want and to always be in shape. To be incredibly fun and chill, yet also like really diligent and buy the books. To start a nonprofit and solve a water crisis. And to graduate and make six-figure salaries. Like we want to live on the exclamation point. Because we think that transformation is not about the ordinary, but about the extraordinary. You think that life is not about the thought in the sentence but the exclamation point at the end of that sentence. And so you want to live on that exclamation point. But you know what happens when you get that, don't you? The exclamation point happens, and it's a letdown after that. You got into UNC, and then you move into a shoebox, right? (laughs) You get into the sorority fraternity where you're like a legacy of legacies, and then by the time you're a junior or senior, you're kind of over like date parties and formals. But real transformation happens in really ordinary ways. Like, we want to be a community of people that attempts to heal and love the broken places. And there are many of them here at UNC in really ordinary ways. By remembering people's names, by inviting people to get lunch consistently and being part of their life, by saying, hey, come to this thing that, you know, I get something out of most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. But I found a lot of really good people there. And I love to be a part of it. Will you come and be, like, at least check it out with me? Like, we think that transformation happens in really normal, ordinary ways. That the way the Bible describes people is that we're like trees. And trees don't grow up overnight. Trees take a long time. 
And a lot of ordinary things like rain and sunshine and wind have to happen for a tree to grow large. But that's what the Bible says we're like. And so we think that transformation happens in really normal ways. Oh, that's too ordinary. Too ordinary. I'm not interested in that. Okay, if God didn't use ordinary things to transform us, then no one would ever get transformed. God loves the ordinary because he made the ordinary. And he made you for ordinary things, like eating and drinking and being with friends and hanging out in the pit and sometimes being bored and sometimes chilling and watching Netflix, right? (laughs) And God's at work in all those things. But Naaman is also mad about something else here too. He's upset because this is too easy. It's too easy. His servants, uh, what they say to him in Hebrew is that he's asked you, the prophet has asked you to do no great thing. Which is hard, hard for a man who thinks that he's really great. You know, it's too easy to wash in a river. And the Jordan River is not even as good as the rivers I've got back at home. I mean, if you or I were to see it, we would think, you know, this is really not that much of a river. It's more like a creek. Or depending on where you're from in North Carolina, a crick, right? <laughs> it's not a big river. He thinks that you need healing and transformation through doing something that is big. Name and expected, you know, I'm a big general, I'm a big deal guy, I've got to go like kill a lion and bring back its head. Or I've got to go on a quest and find a ring. You've got to kill Voldemort and then get into med school and then you can be transformed, right? <laughs> You've got to do some stuff. You've got to sign up and start serving in some big way. You've got to take the campus by storm. You've got to be really radical and really sold out and really intense. And when you worship, you've got to feel it really deep down inside all the time. You've got to read the Bible every day. And you've got to journal. (laughs) I I don't journal. I'm just going to put it out there. And you've got to stop cussing. And you've got to stop drinking. And you've got to stop sleeping around. And then if you do all those things, then maybe... God will listen to you and start to transform you in your life. You want to relate to God based on your merit. You want to put some merit coins in the God box and get out this really intense experience of transformation. It's too easy to think that you could be related to by God just on the basis of His unconditional love. Like, has nothing to do with your merit. It can't be so easy that I would just come to Him and ask Him to love me and be with me in my ordinary life. It can't be that easy. And yet it is. That's not how anybody else works. Everybody else works on merit. How you got into UNC was that you had a killer GPA and played a weird instrument that nobody ever heard of, and you did a cool service project. How you're going to get an amazing job is you're going to nail the interview and you're going to have some amazing wrecks. Every other religion says you've got to stop doing bad stuff, start doing good stuff, and you know, hope in the end that the scales will balance. Secular culture says you've got to recycle, you can't smoke, you can't be a bigot, you've got to be thin, you can never eat at McDonald's. Ideally, you're going to drive a Prius. But if not, at least get 32 miles to the gallon, and when you leave the room, turn off the lights, please. You know, We want to relate to God based on merit. But God doesn't relate to us based on that. And it frustrates us. Have you seen uh, the Jimmy Kimmel kind of bit where it's like the Halloween prank called Last Night While You Were Sleeping? Where like, the parents come in to their kids' rooms and wake them up the day after Halloween. And they tell them like, hey buddy. Hey Mr. Man. Uh, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but while you were asleep last night, mom and dad ate all your candy. And they just, you just watch the child go through the full stages of grief. Like, <laughs> denial, no, 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 no. And it, to anger, where they're just like furiously pounding. And then to just straight up acceptance and grief, where it's just like sobbing gently in the corner. <laughs> like, okay, you ate the candy. And <laughs> there was one of them where one of the kids just, just nailed it. He, they parents come in. They've got the, like, the phone camera on him, and they turn the light, and he's kind of all groggy and stuff. And they say, hey, buddy, hey, while you were asleep last night, we ate your candy. And he just, he loses it. He totally loses it. He says, no, 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 that's not fair. I'm the one who dressed in the Halloween costume. I'm the one who walked around the neighborhood for two hours. You didn't do anything. That's not fair. And really, all, that's all of us. This is why we, when we study like for like six hours and we get a C, we look over at our friend who studied no time at all, and you know that person, and they got an A, and you're screaming at them in your head, that's not fair. Right? Like, this is why some of us come, and it can feel like we're working so hard and doing all the right things, and at home, your family is falling apart. But then you see that other person, and they've come here, and they've gone wild. And they don't work that hard, and they're making straight A's, and their parents are together, and they're going to come visit them on Parents Weekend, and you may not even get a text. And you scream... That's not fair. Because we all deep down think that we need to be related to on the basis of merit. And God looks at us and says, I just don't relate to people like that. I relate to people on the basis of grace. Everyone is dirty. Everyone is a leper. Everyone is a mess. If you could really see the standard of merit, you would give up on you. And therefore, because everybody is so messed up, Anybody can wash. Anybody can be clean. That all you need to know is that you're dirty and that God makes dirty people clean through Jesus. And that if you know that, then that is really, truly, deeply good news. Because the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't relate to you based on your merit and the basis of what you've done. That He relates to you based on Jesus. And he takes our mess and our leprosy and he puts it on Jesus and he crushes him on the cross. And when we come to him by faith, he takes all of Jesus' stuff and he puts it on you. And he says, I will therefore not relate to you based on what you've done, but on what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done in your place. This is why we tell people the gospel in RUF all the time. It's like what we preach about. Every sermon, spoiler alert, ends with Jesus and what He's done for you. It's what I preach about. It's what we sing about in old hymns, which I know for a lot of us are like, you know, different, but they're really beautiful and they're really true because they're really about the gospel. It's what we pray would happen in one another's lives all the time. God's grace for dirty, messed up people whose accomplishments, as great as they are, aren't going to get them right with God. Look, I don't know if we have any tea drinkers in the room, but we want the gospel to be like a bag of tea that steeps in the waters of our UF, 
where it just colors everything that we do, where it just flavors everything that we do, that we talk about the grace of God over and over and over because we need it. No matter how many times you've heard it, you need it, and as soon as you walk out of the door, you forget it, and you want to start relating to the world based on merit. And you want to start relating to yourself based on merit and to God based on merit. Anxiety is just the fact that you can't get control of your life and the merit that you want to have. And it freaks you out. And we forget about God's grace all the time, so we talk about it all the time in RUF. So what do we want in your life and mine? What do we want? Look here, Naaman goes into the water, and he's instantly healed. Instantly. And his relationship with God changes immediately. I mean, think about this. He comes from a place where everyone is worshiping like a bunch of gods. But now he's worshiping one God, the true God. He sees all of reality restructured. Look, we want for you more than an emotional experience. We want for you the gospel. Look, you can have an emotional experience over anything. I've had emotional experiences over Good Brisket and Elton John's Rocket Man. It is that good. Ideally, the two of them together, really. Uh, that's, that's the mountaintop for me. Um, we want your whole approach to reality to change when you connect with the grace of God. The way that you deal with food and exercise and alcohol and your parents and the future and the past and your friends. We want all of it to change based on what God has done for you in Jesus. Look, Naaman brought all of his wealth for healing. All this gold, all the silver, these cool clothes. He gets the healing for free. And when he does, what happens? He gives it all away. His relationship with other people changes. That when you understand grace, you stop relating to people based on what they can do for you or how they can benefit you. You stop just building a network. You start to relate to people as those that you can serve, those that you can bless or care for, as friends that you can love and know. And we want RUF to be great at certain things. Great at reaching out to people, great at loving one another, great at loving God. We want to be a great Jesus-centered community. But we don't do it so that we can make RUF great. We do it because we want to see UNC great. And we want to see God's kingdom great. And we want to see people come and realize God is so great to give us everything in Christ. That that's what we want for you and for us. That we don't exist for ourselves. We exist to heal hurting people, to lead lost people out of darkness and into light, to bless UNC and all of its glory and all of its brokenness, to bless it and to give God all the glory for what He's done in your life and in my life and in the little things that we get to do here in just ordinary day life together. That we would do that through Jesus. And people would see that and say, Jesus is so great. We want that to transform your life. So I'm going to end with this. Um, You've probably had a ton of people ask you kind of get-to-know-you questions this last week. Where are you from? What dorm do you live in? Are you taking a freshman seminar? Those are my top three anyway. Um, (laughs) So I'll tell you a get-to-know-you story about me. Um, Because I love to talk about myself. (laughs) I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Uh, (laughs) I'm from South Alabama. I grew up, and we had 
some hunting land kind of growing up. And I grew up in the, the 90s, early 2000s. And on this hunting land, at some point, it's South Alabama, so it's swampy and murky and all that kind of stuff. We had some beavers move onto the hunting land. And they built all these beaver dams on the land and started to just flood the land with water with their stupid beaver dams. I have to got to include that adjective in there. And, <laughs> and so in pre-9-11 Alabama, you could buy dynamite with just a driver's license and no prior convictions. And so that's what my dad did. And one Saturday morning, we go out there with all this dynamite and we walk into these swamps and we take a post hole digger and we dig this hole and we duct tape the dynamite together and we pop a fuse in there and drop it in the hole and bury it and we walk about 200 yards out and we light the fuse and we wait one minute, two minutes, three minutes and then boom! It's this huge explosion, like a mushroom cloud of wood and water and mud and probably little bits of beaver like go up into the air and then one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, just a quiet rain of mud and wood and water and little bits of beaver <laughs> come falling down on us. And as a 12-year-old kid in Alabama, that was, that was about as good as it gets. That was amazing. <laughs> we ended up, we blew up all the beaver dams we had, and we ended up sticking the dynamite straight up and down in a field and just shooting it with a rifle and it was amazing. That was just incredible. This explosion instantaneously. Um, I don't even know why I told you that part. That was just awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you because I like to talk about myself. Um, but the beautiful thing about that, <laughs> the beautiful thing about that was that where all this kind of old, dank, dirty water had flooded and wildlife couldn't come in there, and it was swampy, and it was gross, and it was dark, and it was murky. Suddenly, these things had gotten blown up, and cool, clean, living water could flow through there, and life could return. And what we want for you, and for this campus, is for God's grace to so enter our lives and just blow us up, that God's life, and His peace, and His love would flow through us, and bring new life, and new love, and transform us. And through that, transform the campus. And that people would see that and say, God is so great. God is so glorious to do that through these ordinary people. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what we want for y'all. That's what RUF is about. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, um, there are so many different types of people in here tonight. And we are so grateful for each and every one of them. Lord, I want to start and just pray especially for the people who, uh, you know, appreciate RUF, appreciate being here, but decide to never come back. Um, Lord, I pray that as they check out other campus ministries or their churches, Lord, um, that you would bless them and that you would give them a community of people that will love them deeply, where they're known deeply, where they're transformed by your gospel, and Lord, where they're deeply, deeply loved. And Lord, for other people who decide to stay and to return um, to join um, with us in real and true community, God, I pray that you would help us to love them and to serve them. Lord, I pray that your grace would so impact them um, that they would be transformed and that people would look on their lives and say, their God is so great. Isn't that amazing what Jesus would do in that person's life? Lord, we pray that all glory would be given to you on earth and in heaven. 
And Lord, we pray especially uh, for those tonight who are, have come to UNC and just feel like they're walking in the twilight of their faith. Um, that they would are wondering, is this Christianity thing still real? Is it really true? And um, they're trying to make that decision you know, this week or the next few weeks. But I pray that you would grab them. I pray that you would transform them. That they would see your love and your grace and your peace. Lord, that those things wouldn't just be church words or Bible words. But Lord, that they would be real and true words for them in their heart of hearts. And God, that you would be glorified in all these people forever and ever. Amen. Please stand.